If this is your first time, I don't want to make you nervous when I, when I start, but I'm going to preach on a subject uh, today, a three-letter word called sin. Uh, don't, don't get nervous. I'm not going to point at you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to holler at you. I'm not going to point things out in your life. I'm, I'm not here to do that. It's not what I do. I, I, I do believe that God dropped this in my spirit. And, um, and the way that I want to present it, um, I, just, I just hope that, that, that you will understand. And don't get nervous. You know, um, God gives me things, and every preacher experiences this. But God drops a word in your heart and your spirit. And, and the big challenge is to try to communicate it the way that God put it in your heart, your spirit. Right? And so I want to communicate that um, in that way today. And if, if you have, look, I brought my Bible, right? Like it's actually a Bible. Like this is my favorite Bible. You can look at it and tell that it's been around a while. Um, but I, I, love, I love this Bible. Uh, I know right where things are. It's like I know there's verses that I'm looking for. I don't know exactly where to find them, but I know that, that it's in um, Corinthians, and I know that it's going to be to the left side of this page on this side of the Bible because I've read it. I'm just that familiar with this one because I've had it for so long, so it's my favorite. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you have yours on, on, your, on your eye something, that, that thing, let's open that. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Man, I actually hear pages turning. I love that. It used to be a real familiar sound when you say turn in your Bibles. And uh, Funny story while you're turning. My wife got on me the other day. She's like, your Bible has been laying on the desk in your, in your room over there, and I haven't seen it move for about a week. What's going on? Like accountability, like baby, I've been reading on my new app. That's right. Right. And even though they had such an app, till Pastor John told me, load this app on your phone. Yes, sir. Second <laughs> Corinthians ten three five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And I'm reading from the KJV. Your version is going to be worded maybe a little differently. Uh, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down imaginations. Remember this next phrase as we go through this today. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Casting down imaginations and every thing that will exalt itself in your life higher than God. So I want to talk to us today about kings and kingdoms and thrones and lords, rulers and dominions. I want to talk about good and evil. I want to talk about right and wrong, habits and habitations. Sin and righteousness. And if you're counting, you're like, man, that's a lot of subjects. If he spends 10 minutes on each one, we're like 70 minutes. Like, who is king of your kingdom? Who is king of my kingdom? Who is crowned Lord? Who sits on the throne and who is Lord or rules over your and my domain? Is my re first reaction to the situations of life, the bad things that come my way in life, is my first reaction to do good or evil, to do right or to do wrong? 
Like what kind of habits, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. What kind of habits am I habitating in? Because, you know, something is only a mistake like the first or second time that I do it. Like I can't continue to do something over and over and over again purposefully and still call it a mistake. But if I continue to do the same thing over and over, whether that thing is right or wrong, good or bad, it becomes a habit in my life. It becomes a habitation because my habits become places that I dwell in. So I want to talk today about the sin habit. So if we're going to do that, then let's get a good uh, definition or explanation, if you will, for what is sin. Simple little three-letter word. It's even easy for me to spell. S-I-N. Sin. Well, what is sin? Well, here's some Bible definitions for you if you want to go that way. Let's do it that way since we are a church. Hallelujah. The Bible definitions for sin are simply this. To do wrong. Drawn into error. One Bible definition is to stumble or to fall or to be without law. Lawlessness. One definition, and if you're like me, you, would, you wouldn't like this, this word because then you would have to find out what this word means. And so, iniquity, right? But watch this. One of the simple definitions for sin is simply that sin is disobedience or not doing the right thing. So sin can be when I do something wrong, but sin can also be when I know what is right and I just don't do that. When God gives me a commandment and I simply break that commandment and I disobey God, then that is simply sin. One Bible definition for sin, I love this one, is to miss the mark. Like even aiming right... But ended up doing wrong can still be sin. Like I can aim right at the mark, miss the mark, and it's still sin because I missed the mark. So to sin is not always the deep, dark, deceitful wickedness that you see all over television these days. Sin is not always the murderous acts and the adultery and the heinous acts of lewdness that we can conjure up in our minds. The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Like every wickedness that has ever been done since the earth began was conjured up in the heart of a man. So it is, it is not all of it's not all of that the sin. Sin is simply to disobey the commandment of God. So sometimes I'm not doing something really heinous and wicked and deceitful and dark and murderous and adulterous and all that, and I'm still sinning because I've disobeyed God. And when I disobey, watch this disobedience causes separation between me and God. So let's look at the first sin in Genesis. Like in, in, for man, in the, in the garden. Adam and Eve. What was the first sin? Well, 
It was simply Adam and Eve. They, they failed to sign and read the Apple user's agreement. That's corny right there, man. That's why I said it. I like corny jokes. I read that on a church sign, right? Didn't read the Apple user's agreement. So in the garden, God puts Adam and Eve in this, in this beautiful garden, and God says to them this. This is his instructions to them. He says, I want you to dress it. I want you to keep it. Be fruitful. Like, multiply. Like, yeah, have kids. I'm in. He says, eat freely of all the trees in this garden. He said, you can freely eat of every one of them except this one. And so when the day came that they reached and, and well, actually took the fruit from the serpent and, and that he offered to them and, and they ate of that fruit, which is, that was the first time that they sinned. They disobeyed God. They ate of the one tree that he told them not to eat of. Their eyes are open. They see their nakedness. And suddenly, watch this, they are hiding from God. Because the Bible tells us that God would come in the cool of the evening into the garden. He would actually come into their presence and they would walk with God and they would talk with God and they would commune with Him and they would have relation with Him. They were literally spending time with God in the cool of the, of the evening of the, in the garden. And that was the relationship that they had with Him. But sin separated them from that relationship with God because sin, even in its simplest form, causes separation between you and God. It puts a wedge between us and God when we decide to live in sin. See, Adam and Eve had a choice when they realized that they had suddenly ate of the wrong tree and they had disobeyed God. They could have still waited for him to come that evening in the garden and ran to him and said, Father, listen, we know you told us not to eat of this tree, but we did. And we made the mistake. Would you, would you please just... But no, instead of doing that, they decided we're just going to live here, cover it up, and hide it. Yeah, come on. Come on. And man, we're so good at that. See, I'm not saying that we as believers, we don't, we, like, we never sin. I, I am not saying that. I make mistakes every day. You make mistakes every day. It is not, this is not a message that says as believers, you're never going to fall short. You're never going to sin. But what I'm saying is as believers, we sin, but we do not choose to live there. And so if you're taking notes, this is the one-liner that you want to write down. Here's another one. There's a big difference in passing through somewhere and living there. Like years ago, man, I read every one of his books like, that he ever read. Twice. Now, he didn't write them twice. I read them twice. Mr. Louis L'Amour. You ever read any Look, one guy my age. Nobody else ever read a Louis L'Amour book. He had a book, the title was Passing Through, because this guy was so bad, man, that he'd go into this new town, it's western stuff, right? He'd ride his horse into this new town, and everybody that would ask him, what's your name, sir? He said, I'm just passing through. So they, he became known as Mr. Passing Through. That's how you got to be with sin, man. You don't live there. You don't live, when you find yourself in sin, you just got to decide, I'm not going to stay here. I'm getting up and I'm moving on. This is not where I live. That's what believers do. That's what we do as believers. 
Watch this. The result of sin was that Adam and Eve, they saw their nakedness and they made garments with fig leaves to hide their sin instead of coming to God when they realized that they had done wrong because they came up with their own remedy to sin. How many of you know we can't fix our own sin habit? That you were created in sin, shaping in iniquity. You cannot fix it. The only thing that can fix your sin habit is the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of the cross where he died there and purchased everything that you need. But they tried to hide their sin. They came up with their own remedy to sin. But God made them garments, not of fig leaves, but of skins. And here we see the first shedding of blood for the covering of sin. God's fix for sin is to expose it and deal with it. And our fix for sin is to hide it and live in it, hoping that no one, including God, will notice that it's there. Man, preacher, you're preaching to me. Never watch this. When I do this, man, I got three more pointing right back here. So what does sin do? Sin separates us from God. But watch this. Sin also promises what it cannot deliver. Sin will promise you something that it cannot follow through on. The first sin in the garden by man. Watch this. You heard Pastor talk about this a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. It was much like the original sin by Lucifer in heaven. You see, Lucifer was, de- was desired to exalt himself to the position that God held in heaven, right? He wanted to make himself equal to God. That's what, what, what happened to Lucifer. He was created to be the worship leader of heaven. He began to do that job that God created him for, but he established something in his heart. He desired, he desired to be equal to God, to hold the position that God held. And if you look at the first sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden, you're Eden, you realize that it was much like the original sin in heaven. Because when you read in Genesis, you understand what the desire behind the first sin by Adam and Eve was. It was to be like God. Because the serpent came to them with the forbidden fruit in his He don't have hands. I don't know how he brought the fruit. But he pointed it out to him somehow. This evil serpent, this Satan, the devil himself came in the form of a serpent. And he he, he made them believe the lie that he said, look, if you eat of this fruit, God said that you would die, but you're not going to die. The only reason he doesn't want you to eat this fruit is because he knows that when you do, your eyes are going to be open and you will be as God's. And so the desire of the first, the, 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 the purpose behind the first sin in the, in the Garden of Eden was the same as the original sin by Lucifer in heaven, is that they wanted to be like God. But watch this, sin promises what it cannot deliver. See, it promised Adam and Eve, I can make you equal to God. Sidebar, pause. What's the only reason that someone would desire to be equal to God? The only reason someone would desire to be equal to God is to only advance to the next level, which would be to be exalted above God. That's the next rung on the ladder. And so the desire of their hearts was because they they bought into the lie that the devil was telling them that this will make you like God. But it could not deliver what it promised. In fact, watch this. Sin can not only not deliver what it promises, but it does just the opposite. Sin, when it's conceived, causes you to live below your God-given potential. 
It causes you to live beneath what you were created by God to be. It promised equality with God. Instead, watch this, it moved them out of relationship with God. Before, it was relationship with God, walking in the garden, the cool of the day, visiting with God on a personal level. After, it's hiding from God, covering themselves, ashamed of who they are. They were never ashamed before. And suddenly now, they are ashamed of who they are. Why? Because sin causes you to move below where where God created you to be and live beneath your potential. It's the same thing that happened to Lucifer in heaven. His desire was to exalt himself above God. He was created to be the worship leader of heaven. His desire was to exalt himself above God, but it it could not deliver on its promise. So what happens? He is kicked out of heaven, and now where is he? He is living beneath what he was created to be. I'm not just talking to the unbeliever here. I'm talking to all of us. All of us. We all have sin in our lives. Some of which has become a habitation for us. A place that we, that we dwell in. That we, we live in. Some of it has crept in so slowly that we don't even see it for what it really is. Did you know that it's quite possible for you and I to have sin in our lives and not even realize that it is sin? Nah, man, you don't get it. I'm, I'm, I pray every day. I read my Bible every day. I go to church every Sunday. I don't miss. Did, did you hear what I just said? It's possible to do all of that. That is why you and I have to live in a constant need of revelation from God. We all need some new revelation from God. Today, right where you are. Yeah, but I've been serving God for 47 years. Yes, you have. Guess what? You need new revelation. You're in a constant need of revelation from God. Like right now, I've been serving God for a year. Yes, you have. Guess where you are? In a constant need of new revelation from God. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17, Paul is writing to the believers at Ephesus and he says this, after I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, watch this, may give unto you who? The believers at Ephesus. Paul is praying for them that the Father of glory would give to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You and I live in a constant need of the Spirit to give us revelation in the wisdom and the knowledge of who God is. I know who he is. No, yes, you do. You may. But listen, you still need new revelation because you cannot know all of God that there is to know. And man, part of this message a month or so ago, we were sitting in the board meeting. And before the board meeting began, our pastor always gives us some some kind of nugget, man, just a word and and he was ministering to us. And, and in that board meeting, he, he asked the board members that were there. He said, when you hear the word revelation, what comes to mind? 
And man, we went around the table and there were so many good answers from the board members. And I'm not going to reveal the intimate you know, things that they, some of them went into and the details in their lives. But the common answer was when, when asked the question, what happens in your mind when you hear the word revelation? The answer was when God reveals or to reveal, when God re- reveals himself to me in a personal and a new and a fresh way. That's what revelation is. When you allow God to reveal himself to you in a new way today, differently than he did yesterday, differently than he, than he did five years ago, differently than he revealed himself to you in the first moment when you ever came to know God and you were pricked in your heart and, and, and you realized that you had a need for a Savior. Different than that moment. Man, I wish that I had the time to, to go in the details and tell you of that moment several years ago when when God revealed himself to me in a special way like without cameras and without live streaming I want to take the opportunity maybe I'll get a chance to do this to to stand here and and go into details and tell you my story of how it was when God revealed himself to me in a new fresh way like I was a, I was a assistant pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was worship ministry leader. What, what Pastor John does. I was all of these things, right? Doing all of these things, working in all of these positions, and suddenly God revealed Himself to me in a way that He had never revealed Himself to me before. And man, it was in that moment. I can specifically remember where I was and what I was doing when God revealed to me. You know what? It was this, I had come to the scariest place that I've ever been, ever been in my life. I was living in all of these positions that I talked to you about. Assistant pastor, youth pastor, worship leader. I was living in all of these positions. And I never, ever prayed the prayer. God, give me fresh and new revelation to who you are. And when I began to pray that prayer, God began to peel the scales from off of my eyes and show me who I really was and who I really was not. (laughs) You like that? See, God, because in the process of revealing himself to you, God also reveals yourself to you. You got to be willing to let God reveal in a way that he has never done before. And he will, he will quite possibly drop scales from off of your eyes. And God began to reveal to me who I refused to see and things that I refused to see up until then. We have to never stop receiving revelation from God. And watch this. Sometimes new revelation requires change. Sometimes new revelation from God requires that you see yourself in a different way. Sometimes it's new revelation to a new meaning, to an old familiar scripture that you thought you knew inside and out. And you read it again and God just lays it out there. Saying, let me show you something you've never seen. 
Sometimes revelation from God, fresh revelation brings freedom. Sometimes God wants to reveal things in our lives that he doesn't want there. We're comfortable with it because we've lived in it for so long that it's become like home to us. And while we still come to church and do all the things that we good Christians do, we still have given the enemy opportunity to take up residence in an area of our lives. And when the Holy Spirit does his job, watch this, he reveals something in our lives that should not be there. What do we do then? Well, Hebrews 12 and 1. Paul says, when the Holy Spirit reveals something in your life that should not be there, you ought to lay it aside. Like, put it down. Right? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What does that mean? King James Version again. What in the world does the word beset mean? Like, like be real with me, preacher. I'm glad you asked. The original word, I love saying this word, is euperostatus. <clears throat> if you like to, if you use the Strong's, um, you can find that reference, Strong's number 2139. Eupereistatus. It's E-U-P-E-R-I-S-T-A-T-O-S. It simply means easily encircling. It means easily surrounding. Encircling. Distracted. E-U means well. P-E-R-I. Peri. All around. And the last part of that, that word actually comes from another word. Hestimai, which means to stand. So the transliteration literally means well planted all around, describing what is encompassing, encircling, surrounding, wholly around, figuratively, a serious hindrance that encircles or hampers someone, watch this, who desperately needs to advance. And so then you realize that Paul's reference to running a race, it would be like a runner in a race being surrounded by so many people or so many things that were put there intentionally to keep him from advancing in the race. Sin that is not laid aside or set aside becomes a hindrance in the life of a believer. A habit that becomes a habitation and therefore becomes a stronghold of the enemy in our lives. But I have come today to give you the good news. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 said, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not mighty, but are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of these strongholds, these dominions, these domains, these kingdoms in our lives. Things that begin to exalt themselves or lift themselves up higher than God. God. Every dominion has a Lord. Every kingdom has a king. Someone who sits on that domain. Every king has a throne. Have you ever noticed when you are watching movies, and Hollywood is very accurate in predicting this, but when you see a king sitting in a, in a, king, in a throne room, have you ever noticed that the highest 
place in that room, in the throne room, is the throne where the king sits. Because by law or by just whatever, tradition, nothing in the king's throne room, nothing could be higher than he was. Like if you went into that room, your head could never be higher than the king's head. See, sin allowed to remain in our lives exalts itself or begins to exalt itself against the knowledge of God or exalt itself above God. We give dominion to it and it begins to be exalted and lifted up higher than God. And and Paul said, I pray that the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of who he is. Paul said, it's time for you to have a fresh revelation of who God is in your life, that he is still the king of your hearts. Like every domain in your life, every kingdom in your life, everything in your life, God wants to sit on the throne of that kingdom. And just as sin can become a habitation, a stronghold, a domain, a throne for the enemy to sit on or to be enthroned on, watch this. God inhabits or dwells in or is enthroned on the praises of his people. That is Psalm 22 and 3. In the same way that a bad habit can be a dwelling place for sin, a praise habit can become a habitation for God. We are given countless opportunities every day of our life by the circumstances of life and by our own flesh to either fall, stumble, which is a definition of sin, or to exalt something other than God in our lives or to exalt God in our lives. Have you ever, is there, have you ever noticed someone in your life that, man, it doesn't matter what they're going through. It does not matter what life throws their way. What comes out of them is a praise. Do you know someone like that? It's like, man, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It's just what comes up out of them is, man, God is good. Wait, you mean, in a, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter because my circumstances don't determine what, who God is, man. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life right now. God is good. This is someone who has given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And there's nothing in their life, inside or outside, that's going to change who God is. Now watch this. Psalm 27. I I believe this is the place that David had come to in his life. When he said, 27 and 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. And that, that one thing am I going to seek after. What is that one thing, David? Glad you asked. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, David, man, David was a praiser. Like everything we've ever had recorded that David ever wrote in his life was a psalm. We don't have anything that David ever wrote that was not a psalm. What's a psalm? Man, it's a hymn. It's a song to God. So every time David picked up his pen and, and, and put it to paper, what came out was a psalm, a praise, a song to God. Man, when everything you write is a psalm and a hymn, yeah, you've got it. You figured it out. David said, man, there's this place that I want to get to where that everything that comes out of me is a praise to God. Now let's look at what David's not saying here. He said, God, I want to dwell every day in the house of the Lord. David's not wanting to move into a physical house of the Lord. 
If that were the case, we'd all be going home, packing our bags, coming, moving, and right, Pastor, you can relax. <laughs> this was not a physical place that he was longing for. But I believe that David was longing for a spiritual place. He was wanting to get to a place where it was him and God all the time, every day. David was saying one thing if I want it more than anything else in my life. And that thing am I going to from this day forward seek after with everything that is in me. That I may dwell in the house. That I may dwell in the dwelling place of the Lord. Like David had a desire that God's house would be his house. Like, God, I just want to dwell in the same place that you dwell in. And so this is my simple way of thinking. So if God inhabits, dwells in our praises, then I want to develop a habit of praise. So if God dwells in my praise habit and the devil sets up camp in my sin habit, then which one do I want to live in? Like, I know where I want to be. Like, uh, I'm like David. I hear, I hear in, these, in this, like I'm reading into things. I know I'm reading into what David is saying here. But what I read into, God, I want to dwell in your house all the days of my life, is I see David saying, I, I know who I am, God, when I'm in your house. And I know who I am when I'm not in your house. Like, I have seen me, God, when I'm not in your house. And that's the me that I don't like. So I don't want to go there again. Instead, God, I want to move in where you're living. Like, like just, just, just shove your recliner over and give me a spot for mine. Because where you live, I want to live. Because I can't deal with the guy that I am when I'm not in your house. Are you getting that? It's like David said, I want to be with you all the time, God. Here's why. Because, like, let's just bring it down to where we are today. How many of you come to church intentionally to, to sin? You, you get one? Like, this is the place where you come and you're your best. Like, man, if everybody would just mock what you do here, we'd all be all right. Like, just mimic me, man. Like, do what I do when I'm in church, and you're going to be okay. But when I get out of here, mm, you might not want to follow everything I do. It's kind of where David was. He would say, man, I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Because that guy is like rooftop, Bathsheba, adultery, murder. But this guy, God, like who I am when I'm with you all the time, it's who I want to be. I hear David saying, I've seen the me without you. And I see me when I'm in your house, and that's what I want. I desire David said, I want to dwell in your house. I want to, and watch this. I love this. David said, God, I want to dwell in your house. God said, I want to dwell in your praise. Am I the only one smart enough here to make the connection? David said, I want to be in your house. Oh, I want to live where you live. God said, I live in your praise. I don't live in your sin habit, but I live in your praise habit. And so when temptation comes, like whatever it is. And you don't have to be that guy that just walks around all the time. Hallelujah. You don't have to be that weird. 
You can if you want to. I'm with you, man. You, you just be you, right? Just, if that's who you are, if that's real, but don't do that in church. And then if somebody sees you at Walmart, man, I don't know. Man. Like, if you're going to be that praiser guy, you got to be this guy right here. Like, like, right? There's not a whole lot of us that are like Richard. So, j- just saying. Where was I? <laughs> so David says, I want to live in your house, God. And God said, I want to live in your praise, David. So I'm making the connection here that if I will establish a habit of praise, like no matter what comes my way, if what comes out of me is, God, you're good. And right now in this moment, whether those around me can see it or not in my spirit, I'm exalting you and I'm worshiping you. And I'm lifting you up. It's hard to sin in that moment. Like it's hard to do wrong in that moment when temptations come. But instead of falling into that temptation, you just close your eyes and say, God, I worship you. Man, I praise you because of who you are. Like God, I'm exalting you higher than anything in my life. Higher than this temptation. Higher than this moment. Higher than this sin that I continually keep falling in, God. Right now, I'm just going to praise you because it's hard for me to do wrong while I'm exalting you. And so I was reading Psalm 27. David's talking about you know, living in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And I thought about another scripture, Psalm 91. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. The psalmist in 91 talked about a place as well. And I thought, man, David talked about living in the house of the Lord all of his days of his life. And then in Psalm 91, he talked about he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. But wait a minute. Psalm 91 is not David writing. See, we we read Psalms and always we kind of, oh, that's David. David didn't write all of Psalms. Psalms 91 through, I think, or 90 through about 106 are written by Moses. So the psalmist David talked about this house that he wanted to live in with the Lord, this place that he wanted to dwell in. And then Psalm 91, Moses writes about this and he says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place. Is he alluding to the same place that David was talking about when he said, God, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord? Because secret here is not secret in his... I know about it, but don't tell anybody. Secret here in the sense of hiding or secure. I love this, or safe. Secret as in refuge. Secret as in a fortress. Because in Psalm 91 and 2, he says, I will say of the Lord. When I dwell in the secret place, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. That word means in Him will I dwell, hide, seek refuge. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, watch this, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What is the only way that you can live beneath the shadow of something? is if that thing is exalted higher than anything else in your life.
I want to live under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to be in a place where I don't ever leave from that place. Watch the similarities, and I'm closing here in Psalm 91 and Psalm 27. Psalm 91, uh, 127 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Watch this. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret of His tabernacle house shall He hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his house sacrifices of joy. I will sing praises unto the Lord. So with every head bowed, no one looking around except maybe pastor and a few others I'm going to ask you this question where have you found yourself dwelling lately if you are honest with yourself what has God revealed to you in the course of this service today has is it possible that he has revealed some things some areas in your life that yeah Maybe that shouldn't be there. Let me maybe lay that aside and just kind of move in with me and move that out. Don't let that surround you. Don't let that hinder you from advancing. Has God shown you some things today in the course of this, this service? Not just in the message, man, from the beginning that possibly you need to lay aside or change. If that's you, would you, would you just slip your hand up and let me know? Yeah. Thank you. Oh, man. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your just dependence on God. One other group today. Is there anybody here today that I talked about revelation, living in the need, constant need of revelation from God. The very first time that God reveals himself to you is when he reveals himself to you in the sense that, hey, you need a savior and I'm that savior. If God revealed himself to you in that way today, like you do not know God, and today he revealed to you that you need to know him, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, despite me, like you can lift your head now, despite me, despite of all of my insufficiencies and what I wanted to say and didn't say or could have said better, God's been working. Aren't you thankful for that? God's been working in here today. Stand with me. We're going to pray a prayer. If you raised your hand, and even if you didn't, and you still want to pray this prayer, just pray with us. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for revealing yourself to me. 
I thank you that in this moment, I realize that I need you more than anything. And today, God, I want to set aside everything in my life that is not of you. And I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. I give my life to you. Totally, completely, I surrender to you. Take me. Make me yours. Let me live in your house all the days of my life. Come on, rejoice with me right now. Thank you for being so attentive. Thank you for giving me your ear for the last 35 or 40 minutes. Pastor, I'm going to let you come pray us out. I just feel like, stay right here with me for a second. Hey, wasn't that good? Wasn't that a great word? I told you I believed he had a word. I wasn't just giving myself a week off. I believed he had something to say. Giving God an opportunity. But I also believe that, that God was waiting for this moment to say it. Because this man had this to preach in July. But God had a word for somebody that's in here today that wasn't in here in July. And so if you're in here today, I, I just sense this in my spirit. I just sense that there's somebody in here that would say, yeah, but guys, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I'm surrounded by. Yeah, cast off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and run with endurance the race that has been set before you looking unto Jesus he already knows you may as well confess it to him he already knows you may as well let him deal with it the author and the finisher he didn't just start something that you have to stay in he began a good work in you that he's going to be faithful to see all the way to the end I don't know who that was for, but don't you leave here today thinking that was a good word for somebody else. That word was for you, baby, and God waited until today to share it with you and put it in your heart. So you leave here understanding who you are in Christ and Christ alone. And when you understand your identity, it will impact your influence everywhere that you go. Can we give him praise today? Come on, lift your hands right where you are. Let us bless you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room. God, I thank you for your word that it will not return unto you void that it is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And today it has penetrated our soul and our spirit. And I pray, God, that we would leave this place with a new identity. I pray, God, that we would leave this place with a new understanding of where you would have us dwell and what that does to everything else that we do. Father, would you bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us. It's not just something that we ask. It's who we desire to be. That you would lift up your countenance and give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Holy Spirit, would you make us your temple that you dwell in and empower us to be a witness with every person that you put in our path to anoint us, to accomplish your will, to walk in your ways and achieve the vision that you have given this house for this community and the surrounding area to meet people and grow closer to you together. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. Meet somebody that you don't know before you leave here today.